Well, I'd like to uh, once again welcome each and every one of you to our continuing series uh, that we've entitled Survivor 2015. And I'd just like to take a moment uh, to review to kind of catch us up so that we can uh, be fresh to the text this morning. Uh, the book was written most likely by Jesus' younger half-brother, uh, James. Uh, James uh, was later a leader in the church, at the Church of Jerusalem specifically. Uh, James probably wrote this little letter that we find in the New Testament, the book of James, somewhere between 55 and 60 A.D. James was martyred in 62 A.D. Um, what he's talking about is the context of the world the way it was uh, in about 2,000 years ago. And it was a world of persecution, a world of great um, persecution and tribulation. Uh, Nero, who ruled from 54 to 68 AD, Nero was this really evil uh, man who was determined to kill all Christians or as many as he possibly could. And it's into that um, uh, time, into that milieu where Christians were boycotted from homes and, and uh, jobs and things like that, that James writes this book. And uh, so in that context of great tribulation, uh, James talks in the first chapter about three key words. And those three key words are trials, testings, and temptations. Trials and testings are those things that all of us face in our life, all of us face. Some of them are because we have messed up. Others are because somebody else has messed up. And majority of things, I, in my opinion, are simply because we live in a lost and a broken world. And because of that, there's going to be trials and temptations. We're swimming upstream as Christ followers, and you're going to face difficulties. And James' point is this. If you recognize that on the other side of those testings, on the other side of those trials, stands Jesus Christ. And he's there helping you in the midst of things when things go wrong. He's helping you. And when you understand that, you can understand the fact that it's possible to actually take joy in those tribulations. And then Paul goes, or excuse me, James goes on and talks about another key word, and that key word is tribulation, excuse me, temptations. We all know what temptations are. Temptations are these things over here, kind of amoral, they don't really have any juice uh, in themselves, but they're temptations that are surrounding us, and when those temptations are linked or merged with our own strong desires, that's the text, not it's God's fault, not it's my wife's fault, not it's the devil's fault, but when these temptations are merged or united with your own strong desires, those two entities give birth to something else, and the thing they give birth to is sin. And when that sin is fully gestated, when that sin is fully alive in you, that leads to death or that gives birth to death. That's the sin cycle and that's what happens when we live disingenuous lives. That's when we happen when we are deceptive. And James talks about this idea of deception this way. We are called to not just hear the truth of God's Word, we're called upon to do it. And those who only hear it but don't do it, those are the ones who are deceived. So all of us listen to the, God's Word. We listen to sermons. We listen to Bible teachers. We listen to the radio. We listen to all kinds of sources. But here's what James' point is. It's okay to listen to it. Anybody can listen to it. But does that information get down into your heart where it goes from revelation to transformation? Is that's what's happening to you? Because if it's not, you're deceiving yourself. 
Just having information is deceptive because it's more than having information. It's actually living a transformed life. And then uh, we find out that um, uh, there's the spiritual disease we talked about last week that's called uh, partiality or discrimination. And the key here is to see every person, regardless of how they look on the face of things, that's what the exact word means, regardless of how they look on the face, we see their heart. We don't look at how they're dressed or the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or the amount of ink on their bodies or anything like that. We don't look at anything on the surface, but we look at their heart. And here's the key. There's only one way I know of to know somebody's heart, and that's to get to know them, okay? So judging somebody from a distance is absolutely forbidden in Scripture. Looking at somebody and saying, oh, that person is so-and-so. Naming them or saying that's who they are, that is forbidden in Scripture. We are called, now we're called upon to judge each other in a loving way, but we're not called upon to judge the world. The world's lost and broken. What we're called to do with them is bring them the good news of Jesus with love and with love alone. So we need to get to know these people. And that's what James was talking about in uh, surviving discrimination. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. That is one of those umbrella passages in Scripture that kind of covers a lot of things, a lot of areas. And what God is saying, listen, you, you have no right to be partial to anybody because all of us, male, female, black, white, doesn't matter, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to our text for today. And the title of today's message is Surviving the Tongue. Now, some of you, you know, I'm going to have to ushers to lock the doors again. Uh, some of you are going to want to escape around this one. But really, this is a good word from the Lord. And I trust that, um, and I pray that God's word would um, uh, go from up here to here for you, each and every one of you today. So at this point in the sermon, I want to say to you, thank you, Mrs. Cross. Let's try that again. Uh, this point in the service, I want to say to you, Read your Bibles, good, because it's an incredible book. You will not believe how relevant it is to your life today. It is the inspired Word of God, it is God-breathed, it is God's Word for you. Read your Bibles. Now, uh, our text today is James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. By the way, those of us who teach in our church, both staff and lay people that teach in our church, we take this verse very seriously. Indeed, we will all make mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Very strong words around the tongue there. Next verse, verse 7. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. 
And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you, can, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, today's subject is everyone's tongue. Uh, turn to your neighbor and show them your tongue. Okay, not really, okay. <laughs> Some of you wives did that very fast, you know, like, like I'm going to get the, in case he says not really, I'm going to really do this. We all have tongues, and because of that, we all have trouble. Sociologists tell us that men speak an average of 25,000 words a day. In that same study, they tell us that women speak up to 40,000 words a day with gusts up to 60,000 words a day. Okay, just kidding. Actually, no, that's a real fact. The tongue. Why does James put so much emphasis on a two-ounce slab of muscle and nerves? Well, because it's an indication of what's in our hearts. James states throughout the letter that the heart is what leads to our hands and what leads to our mouths. The heart is what indicates what we do and what we say. It really matters. And he argues convincingly in this text that what comes from you in the form of words reveals our hearts. So a very pious man uh, once entered a remote monastery and immediately took a vow of silence. He would only be permitted to say one sentence every 10 years. So the first 10 years finally came to an end and the other monks and the abbot decided they wanted to hear what he had to say. I mean, after 10 years of silence and meditation, he's got to have something great to say, right? So they gather around this monk and finally, haltingly, it's very difficult to speak after not having spoken for 10 years, uh, he's able to speak and just says two words. And this is what he says. He says, food cold. Okay, the other monks in. Okay, yeah, we kind of already knew that. And so 10 years pass again. And now again, they're ready. Maybe he's going to say something very profound this time. And so they wait and they listen. And haltingly, once again, he says in very broken, uh, broken voice, he says, bed hard. Okay, well, 10 more years pass, right? And finally, they stand around, and maybe he's going to say something profound this time. And this time he says, I quit. Now, the abbot promptly replied, well, that's just great. I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain for 30 years, you know, and, and now you're going to quit. Well, complaining is just one of those tongue problems that we've mastered. Bragging, lying, gossiping, this germ runs wild in most churches, certainly not hope, of course. Criticizing, crude, flippant, abrasive talk. James says in verse 10, And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Now, speaking of surely, over the weekend, uh, Sherry and I had two friends visit us from San Diego, uh, Michelle and Shirley. And um, they were here at the, at the garage sale yesterday here at church, but they came over to help Sherry do a garage sale at our house. A lot of stuff went, thank God. And then the rest of the stuff we brought over here and we did it again. So it was great. These friends came over to help Sherry. It was wonderful to have them around. But Shirley told us this 
fascinating story that happened to her. She was, uh, when they're traveling over, she was trying to find something. You all know Siri, right? Siri, that woman that we love to love and hate, you know, you know, Siri that's always telling you what to do. You know, it's not just your wife, it's Siri also. As a, we all have this kind of love-hate relationship with our iPhones and our, our smartphones and, and Siri when she's telling us stuff. So Shirley is telling, asking Siri a question. And Siri obviously doesn't understand it because she comes back with the wrong answer. No, Siri, what I really want is so-and-so. And I forget what it was. Third time, no, what I really want is so-and-so. She comes back with the wrong answer. And this time, Shirley just gets mad and curses at Siri. There's this pause. And here's what Siri says. What does Siri say? Oh, yeah. She says, after all I've done for you? Her phone says that to her. After all I've done for you? Now, to me, that's, that's remarkable. <laughs> because, now, first of all, there's probably some clue programmed in all these phones that if there's a curse word, uh, you know, towards Siri that she says something like that. But out of the same mouth, not only does it happen with human beings, it happens with Siri, you know? Out of the blaze, same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Now, before we begin, I want to give you just three very quick ground rules. The first ground rule is this. Resist the temptation to say... I hope my husband listens to this sermon, okay? So, because here's the deal. Uh, we've got to break down the barrier of denial, right? This sermon is for you, okay? Not for your husband, not for your kids, not for your grandparents. This sermon is for you. So resist the temptation to say this is for somebody else. Number two, acknowledge that you have not tamed your tongue. Just make that confession, and I, I do freely. I acknowledge I have not completely tamed my tongue. Not only does our sign say no perfect people allowed, it should also say no perfect tongues allowed. We know that's true of us. And the third thing is, is this. Uh, the first sin after the fall was the tongue. Okay? Uh, Adam, after he went through all this machination with Eve and all of that, okay, the fall happened, and then Adam says this. He said, this woman... To who you gave me, God, made me eat this fruit, okay? So the very first thing that comes out of Adam's mouth is blame and blame shifting, first of all, to God, God, I'm slandering you, and to his wife. So this idea that the tongue is a problem is not a new problem. It's happened from the very beginning of time. Here's the way Isaiah declared his need for God's his, his need for God's presence and forgiveness. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, I want you to repeat that with me. Although, ladies, please say woman. But let's say that together. I am a man of unclean lips. Now, let's say it again, louder. I am a man of unclean lips. We need to confess this. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ is, that the Lord is, that Jesus is Lord, then we can confess it to all others and that God will confess us to, or Jesus will confess us to his Father. We need to confess the truth. Um, we have a wonderful friend. Her name is Eva Sullivan. Uh, Eva grew up in Spring Valley uh, and she was a, a neighborhood kid when I was the youth pastor at Mount McGill many years ago, early 70s. Well, Eva, through the ministry of our youth program, found Christ gave her heart to Christ, and later, after Sherry and I had gone on to seminary and she had finished college, uh, she decided that God was calling her to the ministry. So she went to North Park Seminary as well, got her seminary degree, and she's been serving as a, a wonderful covenant pastor 
uh, for many years. Well, one of the ministries that she had early on in her uh, pastoral care was a ministry to torture victims. Now, that's, that's not a very fun thing. Somebody's got to do it. But uh, there was the center in Chicago where torture victims actually became being debriefed. And um, it happens in all walks of life. Unfortunately, most of them were women. And it was just a terrible thing. But she was there to minister to these people. And here's what Eva told me. She said, among these people who torture, here's their stated goal. The goal is not to leave marks on the outside, but to leave deep marks and wounds on the soul. That's the goal of every torture. Not to leave marks on the outside, but to leave deep marks and wounds on the soul. That's what happens with the tongue. In our text today, we find really, I think, three powerful truths. And the first truth is this. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life. James gives a couple of examples. The first is that of a horse. Here you have this magnificent animal. A horse personifies power and independence. But without that bit, it is uncontrollable. Imagine a 14-ounce bit of steel in the mouth of a horse can change the course of its life and tame it. He uses another example of a great ship. Now, it's, it would be far, probably surprising for you to know that in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, there were ships that were absolutely huge, 300 to 1,000 tons, capable of taking up to 500 passengers. This was possible 2,000 years ago. And he said, think about the enormity of that ship and how that it can be controlled by a one-foot slab of wood called a rudder. A thousand-pound horse can be tamed by a 14-ounce bit of steel. And this, you know, this thousand-ton ship with 500 passengers can be controlled by a one-foot slab of wood. And he said, don't underestimate the power of the tongue. It is small but it is mighty. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life. A bride and a groom stand before the church and they say, I do. And it changes the course of their lives. A couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism here. And all of our baptismal candidates, they confessed to us privately and before the church. They said, we have given our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. Basically, they're saying this. We are committed to follow Christ. I don't care who knows it. I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops. I'm going to be dunked in the water. I am a follower of Christ. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The power of a word of a confession to change a life. Last week on Tuesday, I was called to jury duty. And it took from 8 in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon for them to finally say, okay, Mr. Cross, you're dismissed. Now, they could have said that early because once they hear that I am a pastor and that I have convictions, you know, they, oh, you can't have you on the jury. And so I was, but it took me till 3.30. But here's what I discovered as we were going through this process of jury selection. The power of the judge, the power of the jury, thumbs up, thumbs down, can change the course of a life. The President of the United States declares war, and it changes everything in the world. Peter 
2,000 years ago, the first sermon preached in this new thing called the church. Peter proclaimed, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life. Now, we all grew up saying this little phrase, okay? So when I start saying it, you say it along with me. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That is a lie. And we know it's a lie. In fact, every single one of you has certain words or phrases that you heard as a child from a parent uh, that was mad at you, a teacher, a coach, a friend, a bully. You have words in you that when you hear those words, you have this visceral response. You have this visceral reaction about, and you say, what happened? Well, somebody spoke a word into your life that literally hurt you and wounded you deeply. Proverbs 15.4 says these words. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set a course for one's life. Listen to this proverb. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Uh, Sherry and I had a friend, it was a young family in our church in Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, this was 19, in the, the mid-1980s. And uh, one of the families in our church was uh, David Martinez and his wife and their two children. Wonderful family. We, they were about the same age as our kids. So we had really good fellowship together. He was an ordained covenant pastor and was serving at a local hospital as a chaplain. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful family. Well, uh, David had a patient that Left her, forgot her purse, left her purse in the hospital room. And she called him later. She called the hospital and said, can I speak to Chaplain Martinez, of course. Chaplain Martinez, how can I help you? Well, I left my purse there. Oh, yep, they found it. Um, would you mind bringing it by my house? She, he said, no, I'll be happy to. Takes it over to her house, knocks on the door. Open, she opens the door. She's there in a sheer negligee. David says, okay, I'm out of here. Here's your purse. Turns around and runs back to his car. She goes in and calls the police and said, somebody, a, a chaplain just assaulted me. Now, we came to find out later that she had done this two other times in two other cities and received large cash rewards just to get rid of it, right? Because it's kind of your, your word versus somebody else's word. Well, they found out later that um, David was innocent and uh, no charges were dropped. But here's the deal. In the process, the prosecutor said, you know what, this is going to be very messy uh, the best thing to do is plead down to a fifth-degree sexual assault, which is like inappropriately touching a woman, like touching her shoulder when she doesn't want you to. That's fifth-degree sexual assault. Next day, the Denver Post, a Christian chaplain uh, sentenced or, or found guilty of sexual assault. That's all it says. That's what the headline said. Now, later, and then you read the article, fifth-degree assault, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is this. Uh, even though she later said, no, it was a lie, and he had no charges uh, brought to him, his life was changed forever. He had to leave the ministry. He had to leave doing the thing that God had called him to do because somebody took, used their mouth, their tongue, to say something to slander someone else. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life for good or for evil. 
Again, that verse in Proverbs 26, 22. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. So let me tell you kind of, I think, what James had in mind around this idea. Uh, so, uh, around gossip and rumors. Because this is so deadly. So, um, you hear, some, somebody comes to you and says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And, -so? and uh, you, it's not verified. You don't really know, but you're just kind of swapping information. That's, by the way, that's called gossip, okay? It's not called sharing information. It's called gossip when you're sharing something that you don't know about for sure. And so you take that in, and the Bible says what happens is you take that in, and it's in your mouth, and you kind of taste it. And, and it kind of tastes good. Because one thing, somebody's not talking about you, right? And that thing that they're talking about is kind of, you know, it's kind of exciting and Wow, I wonder if that's true. And, and you kind of take this in and you kind of taste a little bit. And then here's what uh, the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says and what James alludes to is this. That thing that's in your mouth, then you swallow it. And it becomes part of you. And it's part of who you are. And it absolutely alters the way you see that other person. The next time you, time you see them, you perceive them in a different way. Now let's say a week later you find out that it was absolutely false what you heard. But you know what? Your perception of that person is changed forever. Beware of the power of the tongue to alter the course of a life for good or for evil. So there was this uh, vicar and a priest who had a relationship. And the priest at some level got very angry at the vicar and started to spread rumors and innuendos about the vicar. Three years passed. A lot of damage was done. Finally, the priest is convicted, and he goes to the vicar, and he says, I need to apologize to you. I uh, have spoken ill of you. I have spread rumors and innuendos. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The vicar said, absolutely, I forgive you. I forgive you completely. He said, but I'd like you to do one thing for me. And the priest said, sure, anything. I'll do anything to kind of make this up. He said, okay, follow me. Uh, the vicar goes in, gets a, a feather pillow, uh, goes up to the top of the bell tower, tears open the pillow, shakes out all the feathers, and the wind carries them everywhere in the kingdom, just all over the place. And then the vicar says to the priest, he said, what I'd like you to do is put all those feathers back into this pillowcase. And the guy said, well, that's impossible. He said, I know, but I want you to know what you're saying you're sorry for. Beware of the power of the tongue to alter the course of someone's life for good or for evil. Brothers and sisters, we need to declare war on gossip, slander, rumors, innuendos. Sometimes these things are found in the form of a prayer request. Well, you know, I heard something about, so I'm not sure if it's true, but we need to pray for them. That's gossip. We need to be very, so what can we do as, as followers of Christ? What can we do to tame the power of the tongue in this area? Well, first of all, we have to acknowledge that we can't do it alone that we do not have perfect tongues, that we are going to get in trouble. We need God's help. And the second thing we need to declare, and I, and, I, and I mean this with all sincerity, we need to declare this and live this out. I will not participate in gossip, either giving or receiving. I will not participate. In, well, did you hear about so-and-so? You know what? You know what? I, I don't want to receive that. I don't want to be part of it. In other words, you have to have the courage to be a wet blanket. You have to have the courage to say, you know, we don't have all the facts here. I don't want to hear this. And I don't want to receive it. I don't want that morsel to go into me and to be part of me. And so it changes my perception of somebody, which is unfair. 
And then we need to declare this. I will not say anything that I would not say in their presence. And finally, we need to be, and this is really important, we have to be slow to believe a bad report. Slow to believe a bad report. Proverbs 26, 20, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life. Truth number two, marvel at the power of the tongue to reveal the heart. Marvel at the power of the tongue to reveal the heart. That's what James was talking about in verses five and six. Let me read those again. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. That last phrase is very important. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Marvel at the power of the tongue to reveal the heart. A small spark can start mega, cause mega damage. Now, I, I looked online. <laughs> I didn't take time to read them all. I looked on fi recent fires in Arizona, okay? Boom, you know, 219 entries. Okay, there's recent fires in Arizona. And, and he, he, some of these you remember. 1977, radio fire, 46,000 acres destroyed. 1990, the Dude Fire, 10 days on the Mogollon Rim uh, burning, 28,000 acres and six deaths. 2002, the Rodeo Chodesky Fire. I remember that one when we first moved into this building. Um, uh, 468,000 acres, 426 structures destroyed. 2005, Cave Creek Fire, 243,000 acres. 2011, the Horseshoe Fire, 222,000 acres. And the one we all remember the most, 2013, the Yarnell Fire, 8,500 acres, not as big, but 129 structures destroyed. And we all remember this, 19 deaths, the firemen themselves. On October 8th at 8.30 p.m. in 1871, a small spark started a flame in a barn in Chicago. Within three hours, 100,000 people were homeless. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 300 people, lives were lost. And hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Beware of the power of the fire that's lit by a spark. So what's James referring to here? I tried to think of an analogy that was effective. I'm not sure if I, I did a very good job, but I'm going to try it on you. So he's saying that this, this literally comes from hell, this fire that starts in us. But, but there's something in us. There's some kind of uh, fuel in us that's, um, that's not flame retardant, that, that, that can be set on fire. So here's kind of the image I have. You have these kind of low-level, not very bright demons okay? And they're playing with matches. Okay, kids love to play with matches. Well, these not very bright demons playing with matches, along comes you. And you have maybe some unforgiveness in your life. You have some anger that's never been dealt with. You have someone that hurt you when you were younger. It's never been dealt with. You have bitterness, resentment inside of you. In other words, you're leaking. 
You're leaking fuel. And you walk along, and these little demons are lighting their matches, and they can't do anything on their own, but you come along leaking fuel, and boy, you are set fire. And you're yelling, and you're screaming, and you're yelling at this person, and you're angry at this person, and there's just all this, and then you're setting fires all over the place. You're lighting people, other people on fire. Other people that have their own fuel issues. Other people that have their own leaks. And there's, that's called a world war. But it's also called normal family life for many, many people. It ignites. You ignite others. Because you haven't dealt with that fuel inside of you that is leaking. It's a cycle of hurt and hurtful words. It's the sins of the fathers many times passed on to the sins, uh, onto the children, to the third and fourth generations. So I had uh, this man, uh, the first church I served in at Mount McGill, 29 years old, first time being a lead pastor, scared to death, but you know, I'm, go for it and do whatever you can. And so um, one of the people told me that there was this issue in the church. In fact, they told me about several issues that they didn't address. They're waiting for me to come and, and address them. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I came and they said, well, there's this man and he's 76 years old and he's angry all the time. He's just kind of furious all the time. And he barks at kids and he, he's mad at, at board meetings. You know, he's not on the board, but he comes to the board meeting to chew people out. And he's just kind of angry all the time. And I said, what do you want me to do about it? Well, meet with him and fix him, you know. So, okay. I can't fix him, but I can meet with him. So I met with this guy and I said, and, I, and again, I wasn't a very subtle counselor in those days. I said, what's up with you? You know, you know, that's not good technique for counseling, by the way. What's up with you? You know, he said, well, I'm mad. I said, we all know that, okay? <laughs> you made that crystal clear. Who are you mad at? I'm mad at everybody. Well, who are you mad at first? Well, I was mad at my son 30 years ago. What did he do to make you mad? I don't know. I can't remember, but I'm mad. And I haven't talked to him for 30 years. True story. I haven't talked to him for 30 years. I said, you know what? this is not right. This is, this is not, and I showed him the passage in James. I said, you're poisoning yourself and you're poisoning your family. Generations being poisoned from this angry man. I said, do you want to pray and, and ask God to fix this thing? And he said, yeah, I guess I want to pray. You know, okay. Well, there's something about even a hard, broken, callous man that's been angry for 30 years when he just gives a peek of his heart little bit, just, just a tiny bit, Lord, help me. And this man just started pouring, and you knew what was going to happen. As soon as he started praying, the tears came, and the sadness came, and the remorse came, and it just filled my office with these tears, and he was so broken. And he went back and tried to make, recon he couldn't reconcile with everybody, but he reconciled with his son. Some didn't want anything to do with him, but his family was beginning to be healed and it's all because he had failed to realize how much this anger and this fuel inside of him was hurting other people. Marvel at the power of the tongue to reveal the heart of a man. See, this heart of yours, if your heart has anger or gossip or slander in your heart, if you have felt pain and haven't dealt with it, you will cause pain because hurt people hurt people. If you're leaking this fuel, then it will set a flame that will cause great damage. And here's my question for you around this point. Are you, are you willing to even begin to wonder and to ask God to reveal what that fuel is inside of you that causes your anger? 
Are you willing to at least begin the process of saying, Lord, I, I don't know, this is dangerous territory for me because I, I don't know what's inside of me. Do you dare ask God to reveal to you what that fuel is? So that you can stop being angry and yelling at everybody and being furious at everybody and cursing everybody. And Do you dare wonder about that? Marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life. Marvel at the power of the tongue to do this kind of damage for good or for evil. And then finally, marvel at the power of the tongue to bless another. To bless another. How many things could you say about this? I, someone after first service said, you know what? I, I listened to your sermon with great care, but the part that really ministered to me was the fact that I can be a blessing to someone else. Think back over your life. I had an 11th grade history teacher, Mr. White, who wrote a letter, a handwritten letter, and mailed it to my parents and said, hey, your son really loves history. He's really good at it. Uh, thanks for being great parents. Can you imagine <laughs> some of you parents? I mean, you're lucky if you get an email from your teachers, right? But uh, a handwritten letter in the mail. I had a football coach my freshman year. I didn't know if I could play football. All he knew is I played sandlot football with the other guys. But you never know how good you are. And I got there, one of my coaches, the, the head coach, Armin Maynard, it was his, Armin Maynard was his name. And he came up to me after the second practice. He said, hey, Cross, hey, you can play football. M marvel at the power of the tongue to bless, especially a kid. Pastor Woodhouse, when I was in junior high school, my pastor came up to me and put his hand on my head and just kind of ruffled my very cool-looking butch haircut, by the way. <laughs> and he said, Dwayne, someday you're going to be a preacher. My dad and my grandfather drove 1,200 miles from San Diego to Colorado Springs in 1979 to be a witness at my ordination, and they wanted to say a blessing over me. Marvel at the power of the tongue to bless another. You say, well... Pastor, I'm not, I'm not very good at that. Uh, well, yes, you are. Let me tell you why you're good at that. Um, it's, it's the way Peter described you in his first letter. This is what Peter, the apostle, said to you, to every believer. He said this, but you are not like that. For you, listen, this is talking about you. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others <laughs> the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. That's who you are. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Now, what is a priest? A priest comes from the word pontifex, and the priest means a bridge builder. And one of the main functions of a priest, and Brandon and Ryan and I take this very seriously, one of the main functions of a priest is to bless you, is to bless you, to offer you a blessing. And now listen, you are a royal priesthood. You have the ability and the right to bless other people. 
with your words. Be that. Do that. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Allow that word to get from your head to your heart and say, I am committed that I am going to be a blessing with my mouth to other people. Someone told me years ago that one of the greatest things he ever did was every day when he gets ready to go to work, he holds his wife in his arms and he prays a prayer of blessing over her. I've been doing that for over 30 years with my wife. And there's nothing that, we've been through some rough times. We've lost two children, my gambling addiction. We've been through some rough times, but in the midst of all that, we hold on to each other and we do everything we can to bless each other. Marvel at the power of the tongue to bless one's life. Brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus, I declare that you, by the authority of God's word, that you have the authority and the power and the privilege to speak the name of God into the lives of people around you. You are priests. Go and do your priestly duties. Bless other people. At the... uh, yard sale yesterday or the parking lot sale at church yesterday. It was really fun because a lot of us were here just kind of talking with each other and, 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 and pretending to enjoy what we were doing. And it was just a lot of, lot of fun. But here's the deal. You talk to my wife or you talk to some of the others there. I went around and kind of observing people and I saw people. There was, a, I figured who it was, somebody in our church was holding, uh, it was a, a, a beautiful uh, woman from the neighborhood holding her in her arms and praying over her. You know, okay, that wasn't about buying some used piece of thing, right? That was about ministry. And, and see, when, you are, when your heart is filled with blessings from God, <laughs> when your heart is filled, not your head, when your heart is filled with blessings from God, you recognize it, you can speak it. When you do that, you're, you are so ready to be a priest, to be a pontifex. You are so ready to offer a blessing to other people. Marvel at the power of the tongue to bless another human being. You know, we have, after this service, uh, and those of you that have little kids know this, after the service, we kind of release the Krakens, you know, from the children's area. And all the kids come pouring in here. And what they do is they come in here, the little ones, uh, not the big ones, but the little ones come in, and they, we call them runners. And they're running all over the church and chasing each other and playing tag and all. And they're doing it from two-year-olds up to four or five-year-olds. And they're having a great... Now, in my day at my church, there would have been some grumpy old man that would have said, don't you run in church. And do you know what I say is, there, you run in church. And you be blessed. And when they come running by me, I try to touch them if I can. They're fast. And just and say their name. Say their name. Riley. You know, Mason, Adeline. Your pastor loves you. He knows your name. You matter. The blessing. These Sunday school teachers bless your children. Some of you that work in the nursery, that you volunteer in the nursery, when you hold those babies, you pray a blessing over them. Marvel at the power of the tongue to bless a life. I want to close with this story. Brian Harbour tells uh, this true story about a little boy by the name of Ben Hooper who was born in the foothills of eastern Tennessee. His mother was pregnant out of wedlock and she was promiscuous, so she had no idea who the father was. Basically, she was shunned and, of course, the baby was shunned as well. There was much speculation over who the little boy's real daddy was, but no one really knew, and there was a lot of gossip around that, and this happened for his entire young life. When he was three years old, no one would play with Ben Hooper. The parents said, don't play with that little bee, you know what. When he was in first grade, he stayed at his desk for fear that no one would know his name. 
when he was 12 years old, never been to church in his life, he heard that there was a new pastor in town and that the word was that he was a loving and kind and non-judgmental, non-judgmental man. And he thought to himself, I, I need somebody like that in my life. And so for the first time in his life, he went to church. He, like many of you, came in a little bit late and left a little bit early and uh, just to avoid the crowds and people looking at him. And, and then one Sunday, after he was feeling this sense that somehow, some way, for you, Ben Hooper, there is hope. For you, in some way, some possibility from what you're hearing this pastor say, there is hope for you, Ben Hooper. And then this one Sunday, he got caught kind of in the aisle, didn't get out fast enough, and he heard this loud, booming voice and a hand on his shoulder, and he said, whose boy are you? The pastor found him and snagged him and said, whose boy are you? There was deadly silence in the church. Nobody knew what to say. Everyone was wondering what was going to happen next. And then the pastor said in a loud voice, I know whose boy you are because I see the resemblance. The family resemblance is amazing. You are a child of the king. You are a child of the living God. I know whose son you are. Two weeks later, Ben Hooper gave his heart to Christ. Grew up to be a remarkable man. Twice elected governor of Tennessee and lived a life extraordinary for Jesus because marvel at the power, the power of the tongue to bless another life. Would you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed and eye closed, I, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. For some of you, based on this sermon, you might need to say, you know, I need to repent and I need to ask God to make my heart soft around this. And I need to not only ask Jesus into my life, I need to ask Jesus into my mouth. And, and maybe you just need to do some repentance around this. Others of you may say, you know, Lord, reveal to me, and have the courage to do this, reveal to me what this uh, fuel is inside of me that's toxic, what this thing is inside of me that catches fire and causes to say things to people that are are evil and wrong, Lord, would you please check my spirit around this and, and help me to surrender that to you? And then for all of us, the third thing I want to suggest is this. All of us need to declare this. I will use my tongue to bless others. I will, and we will stand back literally as a church, as a family of God, and we will marvel at the power of the tongue to change the course of a life for good by blessing them. So, Father, this is our prayer. Lord, each of us needs to do our own work with you around this, but, Father, my prayer is for all of us that we would really stand back and marvel at what you do when you allow us to be priests in our community, in our larger community outside the church, in our world, and we will marvel at the power of the tongue to bless and change the course of a life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen. Thank you.